The New England Journal of Medicine says in the coming decades, climate change could be responsible for a quarter of a million deaths in the world. Experts say the clock is ticking. Why aren't healthcare providers doing more to ward off catastrophe? We've already seen the overall global temperatures have increased. Sea levels are already rising six to eight inches. Glaciers are losing two to four feet of height each year. And we're all feeling the consequences with the rising heat waves. Dr. Vivian Lee is an author and senior lecturer at Harvard Medical School. Modern Healthcare named her one of the 100 most influential people because of her thinking about climate change and how it intersects with healthcare. A significant number of healthcare providers are reporting now seeing firsthand that their patients are clinically impacted by climate mm -hmm. change. And so articulating that and sharing that with the broader public I think is important. And this is Conversations on Healthcare. Well, welcome, Dr. Lee, to Conversations on Healthcare. Thanks, great to be with you. You've done some great writing about climate change. One of you could just share with us, given all of the climate catastrophes that are in the world, what's your sense about the health and public health system's readiness to address climate change? Well, that that is such an important question because as we know, with the warming of the planet, and with really the other effects that, that human behaviors are having on the planet, even besides climate change, um, we know that health is really the human face of all this change, the human face of climate change. And, you know, the WHO said early on, climate change is the greatest threat to global health in the 21st century. We've already seen the overall global temperatures have increased. Sea levels are already rising six mm -hmm. to eight inches. Glaciers are losing two to four feet of height each year. And we're all feeling the consequences with the rising heat waves, with the flooding, with the hurricanes, the wildfires, the droughts. And so what we need to think about in healthcare is the fact that our fundamental responsibility is to improve health. We need to help our communities adapt through what will feel like more and more frequent crises and crises that will layer on top of other crises. It won't necessarily even be just one crisis at a time. We have to be resilient ourselves. So our nurses, our doctors, our therapists need to be protected in order to care for others. We really learned that lesson during the pandemic and our facilities themselves have to be resilient. They have to be resilient to energy disruptions, for example, from hurricanes and flooding. Um, so we need to be able to keep our own facilities strong. And then as we think about all of that, it naturally follows that we have to do what we can to mitigate. We have to do what we can to lower our own carbon footprint, to lower our own emissions, to reduce the amount of waste that we incinerate and the pollution that we create every day uh, in order to do our share as well. Let me just push back a little on the human resilience, because we saw here in the current pandemic, lots of people just left the field uh, who simply this was too much pressure. Uh, the types of calamities that we might see in the environment would be uh, could be catastrophic as well. Tell me what your thoughts are about what human resilience really means uh, in this environment where the tip of the spear, both on COVID and climate, are our healthcare providers. Well, I think it's very important to separate. When we use the word resilience, I think resilience is sometimes 
uh, intended to mean, oh, just tough it up, you know, toughen up, be stronger. And when I'm when I say the word resilience, I talk about system resilience, not individual resilience. I'm not asking our frontline workers to be any tougher than they already have been. What I'm asking for is for the system to do more to support everyone in order to be able to get through these really difficult times. And we need to be able to do that at a health system level and to do it at a societal level, as we saw during the pandemic. And in these times of relative calm, and I I say that knowing that there are many, still many crises going on all over the country and all over the world, uh, this is the time when we need to start preparing for and planning for um, greater emergencies and greater issues that are going to face us. So it's that system resilience that I think is really important. And then maybe just to say one other thing about that with respect to the workforce, I also feel very strongly that, you know, times have been so tough. um, And as a result, within our healthcare systems, many of those hospitals and clinics are facing enormous financial pressures. And I think it's an important time to rally together to focus on a new North Star, North Star that can be maybe more inspiring. Um, And one of those can be helping to save our planet, helping to save our communities, doing what we can to improve air quality, to reduce the risks that our children and future generations are going to face. And as healthcare providers, we can do a lot. We have an enormous amount of impact. And I think that positive North Star can be, could be a rallying cry, could be a really a pivotal a pivotal um, move for us within healthcare right now. Well, Dr. Leo, uh, thank you for that comment. And I want to maybe take it down to the level of the individual healthcare provider in that exam room with a patient. Uh, the scientists tell us that air pollution already is causing maybe 7 million premature deaths each year around the world. And some say that uh, physicians and nurse practitioners and other healthcare providers need to stop sitting on the sidelines and point blank tell patients climate change is causing your lung disease. And I'd be really curious to your take on that idea. You know, in, uh, in clinical practice, we're so careful about making sure that what we say is evidence-based and should be actionable and people can do something about it. Um, so what's your take on that idea? Is this a conversation that individual healthcare providers should be having with their patients? Well, I think many people don't realize just how many of the health professional societies have already included in their guidelines for care recommendations about climate change. So for example, the American Medical Association, the AMA, adopted a global climate change and human health policy that encourages physicians to assist in educating patients and the public on environmentally sustainable practices and, and I'm going to quote them, and to serve as role models for promoting environmental sustainability. In the UK, the General Medical Council um, has established that, and that's the body that oversees all the new doctors that come out of the UK, that the newly qualified doctors must be able to apply the principles, methods, and knowledge of sustainable healthcare to medical practice. So it's already baked into a lot of the guidelines. I actually uh, came across a very interesting publication uh, that uh, came out of Wisconsin. And Dr. Andrew Lewandowski did this really interesting study. He's a pediatrician. And following the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations, which again include um, discussing health effects of climate change with patients, he actually incorporated in his practice in the, in the peak of the pandemic at the end of 2020 and 2021 for the well child visits, he included a 45 second script during the social history part of the well child visits 
that basically said something to the effect of, you know, in the last couple of years, the American Academy of Pediatrics has declared climate change a health emergency. Uh, some facts like, you know, air pollution alone has caused over 64,000 premature deaths in the U.S. And, you know, just like I want your children to eat healthy foods and be in the right car seat, we now know that decreasing our energy use increasing energy efficiency and supporting clean energy initiatives are also important for improving our children's health. Do you have any questions? He did a survey, very interestingly, of his patients and their family members before and after that visit and included in there, by the way, uh, questions about their political perspectives. And, um, and the results were really striking, um, something like 89 to 91% overall reported that they were very likely to engage in energy saving behaviors, like swapping out to LED lights, and also um, being very likely to support clean energy initiatives. And while there was a difference between self-reported conservatives and liberals, the vast majority of both groups uh, supported these changes. So overall, and as he mentioned uh, in a very interesting webinar, he did not lose any patients as a result of doing that. So I think it's difficult right now because these are not reimbursable conversations um, right. and everybody is already overwhelmed. So let's just face, face the realities of that. Uh, but I do think that healthcare professionals are among the most trusted on this planet. And I think it's clear that our professional societies have, have said that this is part of keeping our communities healthy. One wonders as you get uh, the the conversations mature more, whether or not that will, there won't be pushback as there certainly with on gun safety. And I wanted to pull that thread a little because there, in the Lancet, there were an article, a number of physicians signed uh, who took really aim at the fossil fuel uh, companies and, and that the government uh, that subsidizes them. And, and that group demanded that world leaders pursue a health-centered approach to solving climate crisis. I'm wondering where you fall out on the spectrum in terms of that type of advocacy, uh, because as you said, this is really about, uh, as that one practitioner was talking about energy savings, this really goes at the heart of, heart of the matter, which are these fossil fuel companies and, and, uh, and what they're doing to help solve this problem. Well, I think physicians, you know, just like all citizens are entitled to express their views in the interest of advancing health. I, I think in the past there were opportunities, for example, I would say that I think that many of us probably should have spoken up earlier and gotten more engaged around healthcare reform, improving medical safety, for example, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, we are on the front lines and we, together with nurses and other pharmacists, other healthcare professionals, are highly respected and our opinions are generally well regarded. Um, I know that from some recent surveys, some global surveys, some surveys in, in Europe, that a significant number of healthcare providers are reporting now seeing firsthand that their patients are clinically impacted by climate mm -hmm. change. And so articulating that and sharing that with the broader public, I think is important. Uh, I also will say that, you know, a huge part of the challenge that we're facing here is that what we're dealing with has to be recognized. It's a planetary problem. It's not even an American problem. You know, it's a global planetary problem and it's about everyone. It's affecting everyone. And it really cannot be along partisan lines. It, it cannot be just attacking and demonizing and being used for, for certain political purposes. It really has to be about positive 
solutions. And so I think it's very important, for example, if we're talking about energy, um, to really focus on, you know, we're a capitalist uh, economy, so let's focus on how successful so far it's been in making a strong market for renewables. There has enormous, been enormous demand and a real acceleration of technology there. And today, uh, energy from solar and wind are already lower, energy costs are already lower than uh, traditional fossil fuel-based energy. So let's talk about how we can continue to make that kind of progress moving forward, because I think that's gonna be the most vital to our success. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. We want to uh, turn to those positive uh, trends, but I, I do want to ask you, uh, you know, uh, climate change deniers uh, seem to be pretty distributed across the population uh, around the country. And, and so much good work has been uh, done by the professional societies, the AMA, the uh, ANA, the American Nurses Association, and I'm sure uh, true of the other health professions, but we still have climate change deniers. I'm, I'm curious, have you uh, encountered such folks within the healthcare professions? And what do you, what do you say to them? How do, you, how do you deal with climate deniers within the healthcare professions? Well, I think that, first of all, let me just say that I think that when we review the science and when we talk to the community of people, not, not healthcare people, but people who are experts in climate science, uh, the science is irrefutable. It's just irrefutable. Um, the percentage of people who still question, uh, it, it's clear that also that uh, many of the events that we're seeing in the environment are related to greenhouse gas emissions or carbon dioxide emissions, but not everything is. So for for example, there are, there are many complex human behaviors that can cause changes in our environment. Like our family lived in Salt Lake City for several years, and we have now seen literally before our eyes the evaporation of the Great Salt Lake. Right. Part of that may be related to climate change. Part of it is just simply overuse of the water. So there may be many factors that contribute to, to things that we're seeing changes in our environment. Uh, but still, there's no doubt that climate change is happening. And around the world, uh, there was a survey of, um, of healthcare professionals worldwide that found that 98% worldwide believe that climate change is happening and causing, causing significant concern for them and their patients. Um, we yeah. probably have a lower percentage of that in the United States, but that number is has been reducing pretty, pretty steadily. And I think it's our job to uh, continue to educate and to ensure that people are seeing the data that our climate scientists around the world have been producing and that we do our best to explain it as clearly as possible and also to tie it to the, the kinds of um, new developments that we're seeing that uh, give us some hope that there is uh, an opportunity to, to change the direction that we're moving in now to a more positive future. You know, speaking about changing direction, certainly the healthcare facilities are uh, uh, an area that needs to improve. They're the third most energy intensive in the commercial building sector. Only, I believe, food service and uh, food sales rank higher. Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Uh, what do you see in terms of uh, best practices out there uh, in terms of, of reducing uh, the amount of uh, polluting emissions that are coming from hospitals and uh, laboratories uh, and the like? Well, thanks for asking that question because we, we do have enormous opportunities in healthcare. I mean, we really should be, if we're looking after the health of our communities, we should be role models in our communities right. for trying to, to reduce our impact on, on pollution 
um, as best we can. So, you know, one of my favorite books that I love to recommend people who are new to this field is a book that came out in this 2015 called Greening Healthcare by Kathy Gerwig, who was probably one of the first, if not the first vice president for sustainability for any health system. She was with Kaiser Permanente mm-hmm. for many years. Um, and she really takes you through the reader through just a number of examples. Uh, but there's no question, you know, our lights are on 24 seven in hospitals. We produce an enormous amount of waste uh, in the U.S. today um, about the, the average patient in a hospital produces around, I mean, the patient doesn't produce, but as a result of that stay, there's around maybe 30 pounds a day of waste generated per patient per day. And we still incinerate our waste. We incinerate our waste. And, you know, a lot of that is plastics, not exactly what you want to be burning and spewing into the air. So there are a lot of opportunities for us to think about how we can reduce our own impact on climate change. And many of them are very aligned with what we want to do anyway in healthcare. We want to reduce waste in healthcare. That's actually adding to uh, you know, unnecessary costs of healthcare, for example. We really want to prevent disease and we really want to focus on primary care and public health. Mm-hmm. All of those things help the community and reduce our carbon footprint. Any hospitals that are are leading, uh, hopefully with lead, uh, sort of the building standards, anything that you're seeing that uh, gives you hope that the industry as a whole is taking this seriously as they're planning for uh, uh, future development of, uh, of their facilities? Well, you know, we've seen... Um we've seen more than a hundred hospitals sign up to this new pledge to reduce the carbon footprint significantly in the next couple of decades, which I think is really encouraging. And there are some terrific examples. So I I mentioned that um, uh, Kaiser Permanente has been doing this for years and there are many examples there. Um, When you talk about facilities, you know, there, there are many systems, but one in particular that I know because it's sort of right in my backyard here in Boston, uh, has been Boston Medical Center. So more than, I'd say maybe 15, 20 years ago, they started making these investments in renewables, in solar facilities, kind of going in um, shared purchasing agreements, for example. And these have saved Boston Medical Center millions of dollars per year, just the energy alone, right. 10 to $12 million per year, mm-hmm. which is pretty significant, especially in these days when we are all worried about our expenses. Um, and they've done really just practical things within their facilities, like swapping out for LED lights and putting in motion detection sensors, you know, things that we have in our own homes, um, because we really don't need all those lights on in all those rooms 24-7 every day. And so it's been, I think, doing good and doing well has been the example in those facilities investments. Uh, we also have a lot of examples that we can look to in the UK. The National Health Service in 2020 declared that they were going to be uh, net zero by 2040, roughly. And so there are hundreds of hospitals there that have each, you can look at them online, they've each put forward their sustainability plan, um, whether it's facilities, whether it's switching to safer anesthetics, you know, whether it's moving to green ambulances, electric vehicles, you know, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, lots and lots of examples from around the world. Great. Well, Dr. Lee, I'm sure I'm not the only person throughout the pandemic that was aghast at all of our shedding of our PPE on a daily basis multiplied by 
millions across the country, but it, it had to be done. But I think we all hope, uh, should there be a recurrence, that we're on to a, a better future in terms of those products. But I, I think your point about the economic argument is huge. Certainly, obviously, healthcare uh, is is seeking to reduce its cost and its carbon footprint. And I'm curious, uh, given the influential voice that you have in this area, are there efforts underway at CMS uh, as our kind of largest national uh, payer of the healthcare bills, if you will, or organizations like the Joint Commission on more of a standard-setting uh, point of view to really make an impact in this area? Oh, absolutely. There has been just tremendous national leadership, which is uh, it's just wonderful. National leadership, both in terms of starting to set expectations, um, uh, you know, there's a carrot and stick element, I would mm -hmm. have to say, in terms yeah. of the narrative. But Health and Human Services has charged stakeholders to cut our greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030 and to get to net zero by 2050. Um, we have over 100 hospitals plus other major companies that have already signed on there. We have the Joint Commission has already put forward some expectations in terms of making sure that hospitals will establish a sustainability chief, that there will be ways of measuring carbon. I think the most important thing is we have to really actually uh, put, in process, put in place measurement standards um, and then have plans, strategies for how to reduce those carbon footprints. Um, I think that these are all vital. What's really critical right now is that we have the ability to create constant, consistent standards across hospitals for how to measure and that these standards are not onerous. Perhaps importing them from overseas, the UK, for example, we have very similar suppliers who have the measurements already in hand. So how can we just import some of those capabilities into our procurement offices, for example? I wonder if you could look into your crystal ball and tell us what you see for the future of technology and health. Okay, well, how many hours do we have? <laughs> uh, that, that's, that is such a great question. I really appreciate that question because, of course, that is something that um, that I have been thinking about a long time in which I'm pegging a lot of hope, uh, not only for healthcare itself, but also for the, the topics that we started with around sustainability and, and creating a, a better planetary health as well. Um, one of the ways in which I think about it, and in my time in the Alphabet family, I was really privileged to, to have a, um, an active role in this, is about how technology is really enabling what I call the co-production of health. And I borrowed this term from others. I didn't invent the term, but it's really the idea that in order to produce health, we need to have co-production. It's about the patients and their families working together with their clinicians, their health systems. Um, and how do we enable that through technology? Part of it is, for example, surfacing information and insights. So in the case of say somebody who has type two diabetes, how do we allow them to use a continuous glucose monitor, maybe take some pictures of their meals and snacks, layer a, lot, a little bit of artificial intelligence on top, which can look at some of the history and say, you know, Vivian, maybe you shouldn't have that second slice of pecan pie. This is what it did to your blood sugar the last time you did that. Or even maybe more subtle things like, you know, this soy milk is a little bit better for you in your coffee than skim milk. Or a couple of eggs might be better than a bowl of cereal, for example. Using the technology to enable people to care for their own, 
for themselves and to have that insight co-produce health is vital. And there's, a, there's the other side of that, which is to leverage the same kind of insights to help our clinicians be more efficient, be more effective, less frustrated at the work that they need to do, reminding them of, say, some of the latest developments in the medical literature that they might need to know for a particular patient, but maybe haven't had time to read about in the journals. Um, or in the case of climate change, you know, alerting patients automatically if it's going to be a bad air day and what, what they can do about it, for example, without your nurse having to call or you having to call mm -hmm. your patients or but see what, them in the emergency What's your room. sense of chat GPT and how artificial intelligence moving away from sort of the devices to the software, that's going to have a profound impact. Do you have any concerns about what that transformation might look like? Well, you know, generative AI is taking the world by storm because yeah. the progress has been so much faster than any of right. us expected. And so I, I think you can, you read it every day, but it, it truly is mind blowing, you know, in, in, the, in the true sense of the words. And, and so first we have to just recognize that this is a tool that we don't fully understand um, in all of its implications. We just don't, and it will start to play out. It's a tool. And like all tools, it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. Um, it's just a tool. Uh, one of I, one of the areas that I'm very optimistic about, I hope, is its potential to educate and hmm. to educate people to make the world's information as accessible as possible, truthful information. Um, Sal Khan did a TEDx talk last month, which I, is really worth watching if you're listeners or viewers haven't seen it yet. It's really inspiring about how the generative AI capabilities today can really improve education. Um, we know that it can help patients, it can help clinicians generate reports and provide potential differential diagnoses. You know, there's a lot of ways in which it can make information more accessible. It has to be more accurate than it is right now. And of course, there's a lot of work being done to achieve that. But overall, we still just have to recognize that it is a tool. Uh -huh. And the more we understand about that tool as clinicians or physicians or people in healthcare, the more we can use that tool for good. And that's really what I hope we can do. I hope we can really leverage that capability for good. Dr. Lee, maybe just one uh, quick look into the future for you since we've been future focused in our conversation. Your book is titled The Long Fix, Solving America's Healthcare Crisis with Strategies That Work for Everyone. We hope people will read it. Uh, but you propose that we pay doctors, hospitals, pharmaceutical companies to keep people healthy instead of the fee-for-service model with a value-based care. So give me your uh, your best case scenario looking forward. We see the NASM report on primary care. We see CMS looking to move 100% of its uh, traditional or original Medicare, as they call it, uh, recipients into uh, value-based programs uh, within the next several years. How do you, do you think it's going to happen? Do you think we're going to make a transition to a value-based system? Well, I think no matter what, we can't afford more expensive care that produces worse outcomes. We just can't afford that. And we can't afford care that's actually gonna to continue to widen the gaps and widen health disparities. So we have to move to some model where we get better outcomes at lower cost. Our society just can't sustain it. Um, I think that there are some very good <clears throat> examples of where it has made a difference. And I think there's really great opportunities for how it could do better, for example, in the field of pharmaceuticals. Other countries, Canada, the UK, Europe, are already paying, setting pricing based on how effective a medication 
or a device is in terms of improving health. More effective, you get paid more. Less effective, you get paid less. We have that capability. We know that information. But today in this country, our researchers are actually even barred from doing that kind of research uh, under certain federal grants. So that's an example of something that we could do today that would actually lead us to be paying for better outcomes and lowering our overall expenses. It's just a matter of our, our collective will and everyone's understanding of what this actually means. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for your work and ideas and all that you're doing to bring them to life. And also thanks to our audience for joining us as well. There's more online about conversations on healthcare, including a way to sign up for email updates. Our address is chcradio.com. Again, thank you for taking the time and we continue to follow your work. Thank you so much for having right. me. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Lee. This copyrighted program is produced by Conversations on Healthcare and cannot be reproduced or retransmitted in whole or in part without the express written consent from Community Health Center, Inc. The views expressed by guests are their own and they do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Conversations on Healthcare or its affiliated entities.